Hey folks, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz, myself, and my good friend, uh, Richard Story, with you again this week. And you know what, folks? Thank you for joining us as you do every week. We know we uh, did, we had a little bit of an offset. We uh, A couple of shows uh, last week, we uh, had to delay the recording of one and had to do it midweek. And then we had to miss last week's because I was out uh, doing trail life camp out with my kids. And uh, we're, we're thankful we're thankful that you're joining us again this week and thankful for the time that you gave us if you're new to voice of reason radio welcome please uh, uh, uh we hope that you continue to stay on and listen uh, we're just two brothers in christ who like to speak about the things of god to hopefully be an edifying uh force for the church for our brethren in christ uh so thank you uh for joining us Thank you for being a part of uh, our program, and uh, we look forward to spending some time with you, especially with uh, the topic we're having this week. Rich, how are you doing this week, brother? Well, brother, I'm, like always, better than I deserve, but I should be asking how you are since you seem to want to play dodgeball with your head and fail <laughs> miserably at actually dodging the ball that... Some small child hurled at you at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> okay, little transparency here. You, you, since, since Rich is trying to, uh, to, 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 try, to try and paint a, a worse picture than it was. <laughs> um, we were doing the trail life camp out. The kids got to do projects and, and, and lessons earlier in the day. They had free time in the afternoon, some organized games and stuff. Dodgeball was one of them. The adults were retrieving the balls. As they went out into the other camp areas, I was one of those adults. I turned to catch a ball that went flying on its own, and I got tagged in the left ear uh, <laughs> with a rocket. <laughs> the kid has an arm. That's just let me, we're not talking, you know, three-year-olds here. We're talking, you know, preteen, teens. These these kids got an arm, <laughs> and I took one right in the left ear and went deaf for about two minutes. And about five minutes later, was garbled. And about ten minutes later, it finally got better. I actually had to go to urgent care yesterday because it still hurts. And they said I have something called barotrauma. It's it, if you ever gone off a high dive or fallen into the water, just right hit your ear, and you, you get that kind of earache feeling. That's that's what happened. That air, sharp air pressure uh, hit my ear, and it, it just it felt like somebody uh, basically took a knife to my eardrum. <laughs> Brother, I'm just wondering, um, I know that you're in pain and that you're still recovering from that, but I can't help but wonder what would have happened if that particular heat ball had smacked some other kid square in the face. I mean, there could be a kid walking around right now with a black eye. You may have saved some child an injury. <laughs> well, I would love to say I was that magnanimous, but I think I just happened to be in the wrong place when the kid that he was aiming for ducked. So. Yeah, when, when you first first posted about that um over the over social media last weekend first image i had was skeletor flipping up and his feet straight up in the air landing on his head (laughs) almost probably what it was like too so but yes we had a we had a wonderful time thank you folks for allowing us the opportunity to do that last weekend looking forward to many more adventures like that maybe a little less pain uh (laughs) but many more adventures with my children uh but you know we 
are grateful that we get to be here with you tonight. And Rich, I'm looking forward to this uh, this week's program. Uh, earlier today, unfortunately, you were not able to join us uh, due to your circumstances. And folks, I do ask, always keep our brother Rich in, in your prayers. If you've listened to the show, you do know that Rich has some, some, some medical issues that came as a result of an accident he was involved in many years ago. And unfortunately, uh, that limited him today. He wasn't able to join myself and Pastor Nate Pickowitz in an interview. But... We recorded it. Rich and I have uh, got to listen to it in full, and we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about uh, Pastor Nate and what he's doing up there in New England and the book that he's written, uh, Reviving New England, The Key to Revitalizing Post-Christian America. Uh, I think this is going to be an excellent book. I think it's uh, very necessary for the time that we're in, especially when you think about what's going on even today. Uh, Here it is November 3rd, just three days after the presidential election, and we're seeing what post-Christian America looks like. We're, We're seeing a war of worldviews, and uh, you know, as protests go on from a group of people that I don't want to sound insulting, but they're almost kind of uh, they're almost kind of doing a child's temper tantrum in uh, in the streets right now because they didn't get the candidate that they wanted. And I think the way we address that issue is exactly what happens in uh, Pastor is what uh, Pastor Nate says in his book, and we're going to talk about that in this interview that we'll play in just a second. Uh, what did I, Rich, you're, you're writing to me. What, what date did I just say? You're telling me it's November 11th. What did I say? November the 3rd. You're just about. Oh my goodness. Two weeks behind. (laughs) Okay. So the shot to the head didn't just affect my hearing. It affected my internal calendar. November 11th, 2016. I'm thinking three days after the election. So obviously I'm scrambled too. So thank you brother for correcting that. Uh, I would love to say that's it, you know, the only th- uh, time that I'm going to mess things up. But, you know, if you've listened to the program, you know me better. So, <laughs> but uh, Rich, you got to, to hear the, the interview with Pastor Nate. And I know we're going to talk more about it after the, uh, we play the interview. But what was your initial impression of the interview uh, when, uh, when, when you got done listening to it? Well, my initial thought was that uh, Pastor Nate nailed, the, nailed it right on the head when with with his conclusions and with the things that he says during this interview it makes me want to read this book more and more and more the more i hear about it unfortunately i haven't had a chance to read it yet and i'm looking forward to getting a copy and reading it but at the moment all i can say is anticipation (laughs) yeah you know i actually have both the hard copy and the uh the, uh, the Kindle version. Kindle version is a little bit cheaper, and I, I scored a really nice deal on the Kindle version because Amazon, if you in some cases when you buy a hard copy and they have a Kindle version, uh, you get it for like a, a discounted price too. And so I've got both, and I am a little ashamed to say that I'm only going to just be getting started on this because I'm finally finishing Tony's book. Tony, yes, I'm, I'm finishing your book, I swear. Um, I'm a slow reader because I can't read <laughs> when there's you know, uh, preteen boys running through my house and, and there's just a train, a caterwaul of train, uh, sounds coming from every corner of the house. I am a very auditory person. So I, it's very difficult for me to read slowly. Uh, I, I get really slow that way. So sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sidetracked <laughs> again. <laughs> what else is new? Uh, ADD squirrel. Uh, so anyway, uh, but 
bringing Pastor Nate on, who is a local pastor of a church up in New England, who brings not only what's going on in New England to light, but what that means for the rest of the country and the things that how we see what's going on there connects to the rest of the, the nation and how important wh- how he addresses that, what the answer to that is. Uh, I think that was really enlightening. We, we had a really nice conversation, and we'll, we'll talk about that in, in just a minute uh, as you and I, when we conclude the show. But I just want folks to, to, to really sit down and listen to what Pastor Nate has to say. This is a pastor of a small church who just has a heart for God, who genuinely loves the Lord, wants to build up the body of Christ in the Word of God, and desires to see that happen in churches across America. This is not a man who's looking to teach you church growth methods. He's not trying to uh, sell you on some bit of goods, bill of goods. He's not trying to uh, guilt you into something. He simply wants to see churches preaching the Word of God faithfully. And I think that's the heart of his book. I think it's the intent of his book. So we're going to go ahead and roll into this interview. I want you to take some time and listen to it. Uh, I hope you take away from it what Rich and I took away from it. So let's go ahead and start that interview. Well, hello, folks. Once again, with uh, Voice of Reason Radio, I am here with our good friend, somebody we've talked about before, uh, Pastor Nate Pickowitz. He is the pastor and planter of Harvest Bible Church in Gilmington Ironworks, New Hampshire. He holds a BA from Muhlenberg College and an MA from Trinity Theological Seminary. He writes for the EntreatingFavor.com and ServantsOfGrace.org blog sites. He, uh, he is married and has a wife, who, Jessica, and two children. He is going to join us today about the new book he just wrote, and one we encourage you to get out, go out there and read, and that is Reviving New England. Pastor Nate, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Well, we're we're grateful to have you. Um, you know, I I, I harassed you mercilessly when you kept promoting the book because <laughs> I was so so tempted uh, to to see what this was going to look like. And I have I have to say with a little bit of shame, I'm just getting started. So <laughs> that's all right. as much grief as I gave you, I'm only going to just just be getting started with this. But I I've been really anxious to to see this because I I uh, was thrilled to hear what you what it was you were trying to do through this book and so i'm grateful that you uh you came on uh voice of reason radio with rich and i because we want people to hear about this we want to hear what from a local pastor in that area an area that at one time was was rather famous for its the christian christians that it birthed and the churches that it birthed it's become so different now hasn't it yeah, it's it's definitely a different a different was, land than it used to be for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was your what was your um, intent when you when you uh, decided you wanted to to write this book? What were you hoping to accomplish with that? Yeah. So I I recognize that my voice is going to be very small in this whole matter. But you know, being up here, I was born and raised in New Hampshire, so I'm, I'm a New Englander at heart. I've been up here for my whole life. And um, when I was a kid, you know, it was just generally understood that, you know, if you wanted to find a good church, a good Bible church, uh, you had to travel a long way. And it was all, all, every believer I knew struggled to find a good church. And, you know, once you found a good church, you kind of like hung on for dear life. And I know that's the case in lots of parts of the country, but it was just kind of like a given. 
And when I branched out and looked around, it was what was in other places. And I, when I became a pastor, I started to travel around and meet pastors and look at churches. And I just realized how, how barren things were. And I would hear people's stories about how difficult it was. And I started to read history and say, boy, that, this was not the case uh, even 100 years ago. I mean, this, this has not always been this way. And what happened? And so um, the book was really uh, written as a, as a call for a return to, to biblical faithfulness. Um, it's certainly my heart's desire that, that believers and pastors and churches up here would, would turn back to God if they have turned away, uh, that they would reestablish themselves, get back to the things that we know are good, right, and true, biblical preaching, um, a focus on repentance, the gospel, um, just, you know, simple things, but it's, uh, you know, it's the simplest things that we seem to forget to do. So uh, it's just a desire to, to see New England return. And I really genuinely believe that um, if we were to see a, any kind of spiritual awakening or revival in New England, which is the coldest, deadest spiritual region, uh, the most liberal region in the country, if we were to see a revival up here, I really believe it would spread like wildfire across the country. And um, so I, it's, a, it's a return to biblical faithfulness is literally what it is. Wow, that's fantastic, bro. That's fantastic. I, I, I remember listening to one of uh, your more uh, recent podcasts where you were talking about the book, and you were talking about how, as you just said, if we could see this happening in New England— um, it uh, it would it, hopefully that that same thing could occur throughout the the U.S. But you said something about New England that I thought was very interesting and maybe might be reflecting of what we'll see happen throughout the uh, the United States if it continues. And I, as I recall, I think you said something to, uh, to the effect of the statistically speaking that I, was it one to two percent of people in the New England area would basically be born again Christians and and that the rest would not even consider themselves affiliated in that way? Was that what I understood you to say? Yeah, so the, the data, it's a good question. The data for this is really hard to interpret because um, I was in a chat room, you know, which is always dangerous. Uh, I was in a chat room online and talking with a guy and I was basically kind of lamenting where we are up here. And he said, what are you talking about? You know, New England is 65% Christian. And I, I was kind of like uh, taken aback. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's never been the case up here. Like as long as I can remember, that's that's it's not six out of ten people. When I was a kid, I went to an elementary school here in town, and out of maybe four hundred kids in my school, I knew one other kid that was a Christian. And I, you know, small town, you know, everybody who was in town. So one other student I knew was a believer, and I would just spend time with them and just talk to them. And you know, we were alone. So my experience uh, was was that we were not the majority at all, and. Um, a couple years ago, they started to do some analysis and, and surveying the region. And, you know, a lot of people might might identify with, you know, church going or they might, you know, the Roman Catholic Church is really big up in New England. And um, so a lot of people say the, the term Christian, but when you really start to examine the belief system, again, it, it's all, it always, people get upset when you say, oh, you know, such and such or so-and-so is not a Christian because if they say, well, of course I'm a Christian. But when you look at what a person believes, do you believe what is true about Christ? Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe what the scriptures say? When you examine the actual biblical worldview, do they have a biblical worldview? The numbers are staggeringly low. Uh, some cities are one and a half percent, two percent, three percent. 
Um, I mean, it's very, very low of people who would identify as Bible-believing Christians. Uh, it's, it's, it's embarrassingly low, and, uh, and culture certainly bears that out. So we, we see it. I mean, we just, um, people, people just, they don't even identify at all. Um, you know, and further than that, too, um, when you're talking to, like, you know, in other parts of the country where there might be a, a cultural Christianity aspect, you know, people just go to church because that's what their grandparents did, and that's just what you do, it's the right thing. You know, we don't have that up here. You know, you walk up to someone and say, oh, what are you doing on Sunday? Oh, I'm going, you know, going and play football, or whatever it is. And you say, oh, you're not going to go to church? Why would I go to church? You know, there's no mandate at all. There's no desire to seek the things of God. There's not even a cultural mandate. It said, I'm not a Christian. I don't go to church. Why would I go to church? I'm fine. You know, so not that, you know, we want cultural Christianity at all, but certainly, you know, people, if there is sort of a cultural mandate to at least be interested in the things of God, there is more of a chance that maybe a person might hear the gospel if they're at a Bible preaching church. But for a whole culture that has no desire whatsoever to even talk about this at all, uh, it makes it work very difficult, very difficult. So in a lot of ways, it would be a little, quite a bit different from what we at least typically see throughout the rest of the United States, where there does seem to be some attempt to identify with with faith and with church attendance. But practically speaking, it's the same thing. The worldview, the commitment to the Word of God, it's just not there. So really, New right. England's some rather further ahead of the curve as far as the uh, the attitude towards the Christian faith would that probably be a good, you know, a way to to look at it? Actually, you're 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 more correct than you know, um, because in in looking at the whole thing and 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 sort of the, you know, the the I can't think of a good word, the, you know, the timbre of the book, the sort of the feel of the book was was sort of um, you know hearkening back to you know seeking uh, what New England used to be like, not in terms of like you know going back in time, but just seeking the older ways of biblical faithfulness, but in truth, you know, we're we're not behind the rest of the country, like you said. I had one pastor tell me we're actually this is the future. You know, New England yeah. is the future of America if they continue to turn away from God and reject Him and reject even just morality. So, you know, what we're you know what we saw again. I don't. I'm not a real political guy, but what we saw in the election, you know, just that whole. I mean, this whole region, not just being blue, but I mean, being just rankly liberal. I mean, you know, Massachusetts, Boston right. is extremely liberal. Vermont is very, very liberal. Um, so, I mean, when when you look at just the the liberality and and sort of the um, you know, the oppression of the church and sort of the 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 desire to kick God out of every possible uh, avenue, uh, we are leading the charge uh, with paganism for sure. So. Um, you're, you're more right than you know. I've, I've heard that assessment from other pastors before that if, if something doesn't change, um, all of America is going to be where New England is right now. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. And in fact, what I've heard in, in recent years was what's going on over in Europe, you know, the, the abandonment of biblical principles, the ab- abandonment of scripture, the, of the church. We was maybe 10, 15 years ahead of uh, what the you know church in America would be looking like, but it sounds to me like what's happened over in Europe is, is the 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 beachhead for it. Sounds like New England. It sounds like it's hitting there first. Yeah, I mean, I think you know you know we go in waves. I mean, culture kind of goes in waves. I mean, we we saw this back. I mean, Spurgeon dealt with this. You know, he dealt with a whole 
entire culture that was rejecting, um, you know, not just Christianity, but rejecting, I mean, just the, the moorings of, of how science and philosophy, and I mean, just the underpinnings of society was changing, radical change in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, so on and so forth. So we've seen this before. And we just always, you know, the, the natural man is always gonna is going to, you know, lean away from God and, and go toward the flesh and, and and embrace worldly philosophy. That's just always gonna be our nature societally. And by God's grace, you do have pockets where, you know, where the word is preached, where people at least embrace morality and, you know, uh, certainly a, a Judeo-Christian ethic. Not that that leads a person to salvation, but it's it's a culture in which Christianity can thrive and people can hear the gospel. It makes it easier. Uh, but at the same time, you look at the you know persecuted church. I mean, by the end of the second, third century, uh, there wasn't a single place in the known world that didn't have the gospel. So, you know, it, it does kind of go counterintuitive. So, you know, I mean, the gospel is still going to thrive no matter where you go. It's just uh, it's going to just prove more challenging for us for sure. So. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen it in Europe. We've seen we're seeing it in New England now. It's going. I mean, even over by Washington, California. I mean, it's it's all over the place. It's just we've got a concentrated area up in up in this region that that certainly has it for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so with that in mind, knowing that that's what uh, New England looks like, and and the lack of even any semblance of of, of the church in many cases. Tell us about the book. What is the the premise of Reviving New England? What is it that you're uh, writing and trying to tell people that needs to happen uh, to see uh, New England brought back to that uh, that point where they are see uh, uh, you know being brought back into the church uh, or they that people are being saved and we are seeing revival. What is the hope there? What is the intent of the book? Yeah, so the first thing about that is is the book is actually, believe it or not, not even really about New England. Um, I talk about New England. I, I give statistics. I give you know a historical analysis. You know, I, it's certainly a, a feature, and that's you know it's titled that way. And my desire is for New England, but you know, in truth, I'm kind of using New England as like a test case. I'm using it as kind of a picture. And um, I don't think I ever go, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I don't think I go as far as saying, okay, this is the future if we don't, you know, repent or whatever like that. But, but it's really just a test case. But the, the, the crux of it is, you know, returning to the Lord and returning um, to the things that we know are true in Scripture. You know, because like, when I was writing it, I'm thinking, okay, we, we need what people would call revival. We need an awakening of some kind. <laughs> How, how is that going to come about? And I just began to examine scripture. What, is, what does God say about this? You know, and, and periods of history, biblical history, as well as just, you know, what we understand to be just general history, church history. What are the periods of, of spiritual awakening and what are the common factors? What does God do? How does he work revival and awakening in through practices? What are they? And the first thing is always the preaching of the word of God. Uh, you can't have revival without the preaching and the hearing of the word of God. People say, oh, pray, pray, pray for revival. That's good. But if you just pray and never actually dispense the word of God, then it's it's really hopeless um, because, you know, like like Paul says in Romans 10, I mean, how can they hear unless there's a preacher? How can they preach unless you know, a person's sent? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So a person's going to come to faith when they hear the gospel, when they hear the word being preached. So we have just abandoned, in, in many cases, biblical preaching from our pulpits. Um, there are some faithful churches, there are faithful pastors up here who are just slugging it out, 
Um, there we do have great churches in some cases, uh, but it's not the norm by any stretch of the imagination. And and even the ones who are preaching the gospel might not 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 be giving their church a steady diet of the Word of God. So things like biblical preaching, repentance. Um, you know, New Englanders are stubborn. We are stubborn, uh, uh, hard-headed people sometimes, and it, we don't we don't like to admit that we're wrong. Just culturally, it's kind of we're not warm and sort of you know willing to kind of uh, we are hard-necked, hard hard-headed, uh, and that's I'm speaking of myself as well. You know, we just do not want to be wrong. <laughs> Uh, our patriots are never wrong. They never cheat. They never lose. You know, the, I mean, you know, I mean, we're, we just, you know, I mean, we, we are stubborn people and, you know, uh, the reason, you know, we're stubborn for the patriots is because they are awesome and that's just the way it is. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, I mean, it's a spiritual condition, you know, not ever confessing, repenting. That's a spiritual problem. Uh, fellowship is, is another thing where the, when the church thrives is when people are actually obeying the mandate to love one another we are closed off people. You know, we don't like to be in each other's houses. We don't, there's no, uh, in the book I talk about Southern hospitality, there's no Northern hospitality. We're not known for that. Um, so there's just real basic key elements that scripture talks about over and over and over again, markers of, of, of true godliness and of saving faith um, that we have to get back to those things. And if we were to do that, the Lord can, it's his prerogative, but uh, he very well may work through that faithfulness and begin to bring about spiritual renewal that could take place in New England. But when you read the book, it really could be anywhere. I mean, these are general biblical principles. So um, that's really the desire is to just encourage believers. If you're already running faithfully, keep on running. If you know that you're weak in some areas, you know, harden your position, go back to the Lord, return to him, do the things you know are right. And if you're away from him, repent and come back. You know, it's, it's a desire for people to be faithful to God. Amen. Amen. So I, I think, I don't think anybody that would listen to this program would disagree that one of the biggest problems we see in the church is the lack of biblical literacy. And certainly um, you're, you're in indicating that, that the church in New England, uh, that, you know, the, 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 the ones that are not part of that few and faithful uh, uh, remnant preaching the word faithfully, they're not preaching the word of God. They're not consistently putting it and exegeting it there in the, uh, for their congregations. What, in your experience, based on your time up there, what is the reason for that? Is there uh, just a lack of uh, trust in the word of God? Is it uh, you know a, a, an error in theology? What has brought about that kind of uh, biblical illiteracy that we're having to simply say, you need to go back to the Word of God. You need to actually teach faithfully what it says. Yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of things to that, and I think part of you know uh, one thing I was as I was studying history, um, just generally speaking, one of the things I was learning is that there's really no simple um, you know it's not just this happened then that happened. And history is very complicated. Our spiritual condition is very complicated. So the reasons why people do what they do. It might not be one or two things, but I, I will tell you that I think that there's, in my opinion, there is a general sense of, of faithlessness. You know, I think it's easy for pastors to, to buy into pragmatism. We have so many talking heads uh, in, in, quote, large, successful churches um, who are telling pastors and churches uh, to, to direct their focus away from the Word of God. You know, people don't want to hear 
you know, just exegeting scripture that, you know, that, you know, doesn't, doesn't help them anything. You know, you gotta, you gotta meet them where they're at and help them. You gotta give them answers. And, and it's like, okay, that sounds right. Like it sounds like it would be good, but that's completely antithetical to everything the Bible teaches us. Um, you know, so I think that there is a, there's a lack of faith in the power of scripture. Um, the word of God is living and active. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that. So if we're dealing with, with, you know, a, a book that has words in it that are living and active and the spirit of God actually works through those words in some way, I don't understand how he does it, but he does. If that's what he's doing, and then we think we can somehow muscle him out of the way and, and replace him with our pragmatic attempt, I mean, that's just the, that's foolish. I mean, it's really just wrong. So I think we've bought the lie that everything has to be pragmatic. I think there's a, there's a fear of making people feel bad. I think so many churches up here are so depressed. So, you know, none, we, we struggle to meet our budgets. We struggle. We have old dilapidated buildings. Some of us don't even have buildings. Um, I think there's, you know, if you lose in some cases, a couple of families, uh, your whole church might go down. So, I mean, there, there is a sense in which people are, you know, churches are dying to keep people in the seats. And so if, if I'm going to tell them that they've sinned against a holy God and they need to repent, and that's going to drive them out of the church, um, I don't want to do that because I, I, we got to keep things going. We have to keep the endowment going. We got to keep the building going. We got to keep, you know, we got to keep this thing afloat. So, you know, we're trying to tickle the ears of our people. And I'm not saying beat them in the head with truth until they bleed. I'm just saying, like, be honest with people, you know, be, be you know, right. you have to be honest before God and before your congregation. Like, you need to tell them lovingly what's true and trust that the Lord's going to work through that. Um, I think part of it also is maybe just um, uh, a laziness, a, a, non, a, a, a non-commitment uh, to wanting to do the work of exegesis and application, I think, um, you know, preaching is hard. I mean, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of study and, uh, I'm not the great at, greatest at it, but you know, it does take work. And I think there's a lot of guys who just don't want to do the work. So I think there's a lot of things going on. I think there's always going to be that tendency to drift away into our flesh and not be faithful. Um, but we're, we're called to do it. We're called to be faithful and to just dispense the word and trust the Lord that he's going to use what he promises he's going to use, um, to, uh, you know, sanctify his church. Ephesians chapter five, Jesus says he's going to wash them with the water of the word. I mean that he promises this. So why we don't do this, uh, forget New England, why we don't do this church wide, uh, is a mistake. It's a mystery to me because the Lord has promised that he would do it. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to it, and um, and I don't certainly claim to have the corner on understanding all of it, but um, you do see patterns, and it's you know it's like man, you know, just preach the word, you know, like <laughs> it's not rocket science. Like open a Bible and just tell people what it says, you know, <laughs> like um, well, yeah, you know, I yeah. I I think you you've made some really good points about that because I think sometimes we we get a little bit caught up on you know getting upset with the seeker friendly movement because. We do see what they're doing, and it's completely unbiblical. It's about basically making people feel good in their sins, so they show up in the pews. But you you touch on something that I think sometimes we we do forget, even though the motivation is wrong, and that is the smaller churches, the pressure they're under just to stay open. And to be able to—it's like, well, I can exegete the Word, I can teach it, but— 
people aren't going to show up if they get if they feel bad about their sin. And so do I do I compromise and do I you know maybe make it a little less uh, uh, painful just so that they'll show up every week so I can hopefully do something and hopefully keep the church open, or do I you know do I preach the word and basically run the church out of business? And I I think that it that we we get very frustrated with the the pragmatists in the world and I think rightfully so but I think we do need to remember that there there are a lot of small churches that that are combating this and they're trying to stay faithful but they they have this up they're they're up against the wall in this respect so that we always have to kind of keep that in mind but I you're you're absolutely right we have the word of god we have god's promise that he will in fact use his word the way it's intended. It will not return void. He will accomplish what exactly he intends to accomplish. And so when we say, well, I'm going to compromise, we're saying, I don't have enough faith in God that he will actually do what he says he's going to do. And I think that's why books like Reviving New England are so very important because it's a, it's a clarion call. It's a reminder. No, we have God. We, we don't need... Uh, church antics of some kind. We don't need Madison Avenue techniques to keep the church alive. The church is Christ's bride. He is faithful to his bride. We just need to do things his way. I mean, I I understand that it can be a difficult choice, but I, I agree with you, uh, Pastor Nate. I think the church has forgotten that his p- word is powerful and it can be used the way he intends it to be used. And I think, too, you know, another aspect of this is that I think the church or or church leaders can sometimes set up a false dichotomy where they say, okay, either you, you know, preach and exegete the word, you know, tirelessly, faithfully, you know, meticulously, um, and then run your people out because you don't ever apply it and it's all head knowledge and doesn't go to their heart and they're just going to sit there and listen to you parse verbs and, or you can give them, you know, marriage advice and financial advice and how to, you know, do da 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 at the expense of the word, and they set up these two camps, false dichotomy, that are wrong. You know, right. true biblical preaching, true expositional preaching, it does exactly what Paul tells Timothy to do. I think it's in First Timothy 4.13. He says, you know, until I return, devote yourself to the reading of the word, exhorting, and, and explanation, application, um, uh, teaching, teaching. Um, so, you know, we have a model where, okay, you read the text, you explain what's in the text, you know, wh- you know what the words and what it means and the grammar and all that stuff, but then you do have to exhort with the text. You have to apply the text. So a good expositor is not just going to do word studies for a half hour and then say, okay, you know, go go with God, be warmed and filled. You know, you, you, you have to bring that to them. You have to bring it to bear on their marriages and their families and their daily walk and their life and their sin and their habits. And so all of that pragmatic stuff is fine. You know, dealing with, you know, needs and, and issues in a person's life, that's, you know, that is essential. But what's the authority behind it? You know, if I'm going to go tell someone how to, how to have a good marriage, well, who says? I mean, I can't use my marriage as the benchmark. You know, am I thankful with my marriage? Of course, but I'm not the standard uh, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, Christ is the standard and his relationship to his bride, that's the standard. So I have to bring scripture to bear with the authority of the word of God on the person, but they're never going to recognize that authority until God is actually speaking to them through his word. So anyway, I don't want to go too far with this, but, you know, I think this false dichotomy and, and, you know, we all know the, the voices that we hear that are saying this, 
oh, you know, get your eyes off scripture and just look to Jesus. Okay, well, that sounds great, but it's wrong. It's just flat wrong right. because you are you are dividing God from his word and scripture never does it. Jesus never does it. So we have a responsibility to bring people to write to write the nose right up to their, you know, up to the word, bring it, bring that word to them, explain it and then apply it. If we don't apply it, then it's it's not going to have its full effect. So um, the task is multifaceted. And I, I think that, you know, faithful ministers need to devote themselves to all those aspects. But I, I think we do a great disservice when we set up Christ against his word and try to say, well, this is practical, that's theological, and it's two different worlds. I think it's not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I- I've ever seen, uh, especially when you, you talk, people start running around saying, well, doctrine divides and we shouldn't worry about doctrine. Right, I, right. I think that entirely, <laughs> that entirely reveals it, you know, that, 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 that poor thinking. And I think that goes back to, you know, what are we teaching from the pulpit? And right. if, uh, if you're not doing, as you say, you're not teaching it, not only what does it say, but how does it apply? Then you're, you're, you're failing your congregation and you're making assumptions about them that are inappropriate and, and incorrect. And so what I hope people take from this is number one, they go get your book, go to Amazon, go get the book and read it. (laughs) And number two, and number two, number two, go sit down with your pastors and please, you know, folks, if you do this, don't, we saw this when, uh, the evangelism, biblical evangelism came back onto the scene and a lot of people rudely and sinfully went to their pastors and kind of smacked them with Ray Comfort's book and said, you need to do this. That that's, that's wrong. Don't do that. So don't do this with Nate's, Nate's book, <laughs> please. Uh, but sit down. You know, maybe get a give a copy to your pastor as a gift. As you know, ask his thoughts and, and start talking to your pastors about what uh, what the church can be doing to equip the body of Christ biblically. Because Pastor Nate, you 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 touched on it just a bit ago with regard to what's going on post election. I mean, today is November eleventh. It's now been you know. Uh, three days since the election and beyond all odds that anybody projected which made the liberals heads explode uh, Donald Trump got elected and right now we have an entire generation of people who are running out into the streets screaming hollering crying and and I don't mean this to sound rude but it is the almost the adult version of a a child's temper tantrum in a store I didn't get my way I didn't get the candidate I want, and now I'm going to go forth and do damage. And it's that I think you and I would probably agree on this, Pastor Nate. That's not an election issue. That's that's a worldview issue. That that's people not understanding um, that they <laughs> the world is not always going to go their way. They've been taught that the world revolves around them. And that everything they want is right and good, and Scripture completely says no. That's not true. <laughs> you, your heart is desperately wicked. You're you're in opposition to God. You need to be uh, re- uh, repentant of your sin. You need to trust in Christ alone for salvation. You, you need to be given a new heart. And the only way the church can answer this isn't to go out and do counter protests or. Uh, you know, point to conservative values, it's to address the worldview problem. And I think the only way that we can do that is if we are equipped to be preaching the gospel. And in fact, 
the churches be doing that. So I, I, I'm grateful because I think that's what, you, uh, what you're doing is uh, with this book. I think that's what we need to see. Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the things that we're seeing is we're just seeing, we're seeing externally what's been going on internally for a long time. You know, we're, we're seeing, you know, this is idolatry. You know, when people put their trust in governments, when they put their trust in, in world leaders to save them, when they put their trust in whichever celebrity that they want. I mean, this isn't just mm-hmm. a matter of political candidates. It's a celebrity. I mean, yeah. when, when, when my celebrity is better than your celebrity, and I mean, you know, the, the bottom line, you know, is, is not, like you said, it's not the election. The bottom line is that we, this is a faith problem. We are putting our faith and our trust in everything else under the sun, you know, governments, world rulers, you know, uh, our causes, groups, whatever identification we can think of, we're putting our faith in the wrong things. And until and it's not a matter of nations, but we're, it's it's a, and when when people start to see that they have a need, that their angst and their frustration and their brokenness is not going to be reconciled or, or solved by which Canada gets into office. Once they realize that and say, boy, you know what, there's actually something bigger than all this. I've actually, I have something going on inside that can't be fixed by a human. It needs to be fixed by God. And they need to be turning their life over to Christ. And then, you know, I mean, this this whole election gets a lot more bearable when God's in the picture. You know, when you see that, <laughs> that you know, my, my hope is not built on anything here. Uh, certainly, I, I want to live in a, a country that... Um, you know, that it allows, you know, freedom of religion and, and, and the ability to be able to function and provide for my family and safety. And, you know, those are all wonderful things, but I'd still be a Christian in a, in a persecuted environment as well, um, by God's grace, of course. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not an issue of who got in, who didn't get in. You know, the issue is where's your heart, where's your faith? And I think that this is, um, the church needs to see this as an opportunity, not to stump for anybody, but an opportunity to actually meet these people where they are. And, you know, people are angry and bitter at work and you're talking to them and they're, and they're flipping out or if they're on Facebook or whatever, don't throw your, your hat in the ring and start jumping on them. Ask questions, you know, well, talk to me about this. You know, how are you feeling? Like, you know, um, and I'm not, I'm not the best at this by the way, but you know, boy, there's just such an opportunity to be able to, to talk to people about, you know, what one of my elders calls a transcendent purpose that there's something more, there's something greater at stake here. It's not just government. It's not just your rights. Um, there is something more. There's a relationship to an eternal being which has been severed because of your spiritual condition. So um, we have an opportunity uh, to minister in a way that's unprecedented in our history. And I just pray that we don't miss it. I pray that we don't get caught up with mission drift and get off the deep end and just stay focused on Christ and preaching the gospel and uh, in addition to that, being you know, loving people, actually caring for how they're doing and how they're feeling. I mean, that, that matters, how you love people, that really matters. So um, there's a lot that could be said, I think, about that. But I think that's the core issue. It's a faith issue. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Nate, I, I, I appreciate you coming on. I want to be respectful of your time. And, and, and we've been together about a half hour now. And so uh, before we wrap off, this man. up, I just want to say thank off. you. Uh, th- uh, what's that? 
<laughs> I said, I'm getting the brush off, oh, man. No. Like we were just getting, we were just getting rolling. We were just getting rolling. Oh no, I, I, no, I, no, I, no. I want to keep you on. I, you know, I'm going to have you come back no. on. I really want to, I love, one of the things I love about how your approach to, uh, to, to teaching the word of God is, is that it's, it can be very easy about, uh, coming down heavy handed. And I, especially when we're talking from a, uh, you know, truly biblical uh, conservative perspective, we can come off uh, very heavy handed. And one of the things I so greatly appreciate about you is that you don't do that. You you, you stick to your guns. You, you don't compromise the word of God. But at the same time, you want to approach people in a manner that you're not going to be a stumbling block in addition to just what the word already says. And so I love uh, the, uh, your approach to that. And I want to have you back on and talk more about that kind of stuff. I just don't want to take up so, too much of your time. No, uh, and I, I love Chris, uh, having you on here. Um, so we're, we're, we're definitely going to have you back on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I the, the other thing too, I, I appreciate your kind words, but another thing too is, um, you know, life and ministry uh, family, uh, everything, it, it can be so heavy sometimes. And so, uh, one of the things I think is important is just to, to not take yourself so seriously. Yeah. So, uh, if I have, if I have any, uh, merit at all, just in how I handle anything, it's simply because I, I don't, I just don't think that my feelings are worth, uh, that much, uh, to be hurt or, to, you know, I, I'd rather just kind of have some fun and, and pick on people and, <laughs> and do it in a spirit of love in a way that they can handle. So, uh, uh, no, I, I enjoy, you know, you and I go back and forth online and, and uh, we're friendly to each other and I appreciate uh, what you're doing and what you and Rich are doing together. And uh, I'd love to come back on at some point and talk more about these things. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you thought to have me on. I, I do appreciate that. Well, we're we're grateful that you came on uh, because, you know, we we don't have obviously a huge following, but we the people that do follow are faithful and I, I, listeners. And I think they're going to benefit from uh, reviving New England, and I certainly want to expose them to that. So uh, certainly, folks, go out, uh, go to Amazon.com, find uh, Pastor Nate's book, Reviving New England, uh, get it, read it, learn more about what we as Christians can be doing about bringing revival not only to one specific area of the country, but throughout our nation, especially in a time such as this. Uh, Pastor Nate, how can people be in touch with you if they wanted to learn more? Uh, well, they can go to, I have a, a public Facebook page. Uh, just go to Facebook and just type in Nate Pickowitz. I do have a personal page, but my public page okay. is, whoa, is whoa, accessible whoa, stop, to anybody. Stop, stop. Your name is only slightly harder than mine, so do my listeners uh, a favor, spell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, are you going to link it? You're going to link it on social media. I will and definitely. Stuff like I'll that? definitely. You can also follow it, me on Twitter. I'll definitely link it, but I All had. Right. To, I, I will had spell to give it. you that one. <laughs> All right, I'll spell it. So my name is P I C K. So pick like you'd imagine. Pick O W I C Z. <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. You will not find me on Instagram at all. Uh, you can find my buddy Landon Chapman on Pinterest for some silly reason, but uh, no, I'm just on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, hit me up, uh, follow, hang out with me, do whatever. Uh, I love to talk with people about this kind of stuff. So absolutely. Amen. And you know, Pastor Nate, you said something on uh, social media yesterday and and I, I'm top of the list to say yes every single day. Uh, now that the election is over, can we get back to talking about Jesus? Yes, right. every day, folks. <laughs> back, Get back on there. Follow uh, uh, Pastor Nate in uh, Facebook, Twitter. Go check him out at entreatingfavor.com. Go listen to him on the Fire Away podcast. Uh, 
both fantastic resources. Nate, Pastor Nate, I love your articles on the best book in the Bible series. Um, yeah, those are those are those are I think really helpful, especially because if you don't have an understanding of you know if you go into the Old Testament and you pick a, a book of the prophets. I, I confess, I struggle sometimes with the the books of the prophets, and I'm like, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the Psalms. So, <laughs> yeah, right. so having that as a resource, uh, knowing what is the uh, the content, what is the context, what is it about, what is it addressing, those are fantastic articles, and I hope uh, people will go check those out in, as well as be uh, reading your book. But uh, folks, go check out uh, you know the folks at uh, Intriguing Favor. Go check out the best book in the Bible series by Pastor Nate on that site check out the uh the fireway podcast and most especially uh pick up a copy of reviving new england uh be reading it and be prayerfully considering how we as christians can be involved in the promulgation of the gospel and the teaching of the word of god uh it need we need it in this day and in this age especially now as we see what's going on in the world around us so pastor nate thank you so much for coming on uh very grateful and i just uh pray that you have a wonderful weekend. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Okay, Rich. So we've had an opportunity to listen to Pastor Nate's interview, and I got your initial reaction uh, before we, we started it up. Having heard that, having had an opportunity to listen to Pastor Nate talk about uh, New England, to talk about what's going on there, and to talk about uh, why he wrote the book, what what do you t- think is the takeaway? What's something that you, uh, when you hear that, that you want to see happen as a result of that interview? Well, like you were mentioning at the prior to the interview, I, I agree with Pastor Nate, and like I said earlier, it just really makes me want to read the book in its entirety. But what you know, when you pick up this book, or even Really, initially, if you read the title, it's Reviving New England, but it has applications to not just New England, but to the all of the United States, and not even just to the United States, but to all over the world, because the, the darkness that is in New England, that same darkness surrounds the entire land, and the solution, regardless of where you happen to be in the world, the solution is getting back to preaching and expositing the Word of God like it was intended and to be teaching, if you're a pastor, to be teaching the entire whole council of the Bible and to, for you know, if you're not a pastor, to be reading and studying your Bible, know what the Bible says, know what Christ says, and to be sharing the gospel with those around us, brother. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, in listening to Pastor Nate and, and talking with him, one of the things I thought was so interesting, and you said it yourself, this, this has application for more than just a particular geographic location. I mean, someone looks at a book like this and they may say, Reviving New England, Why well, I, I live in you know California, why do I worry about what's going on in New England? Pastor Nate made it clear, this isn't just a book about New England. It's that, that's the backdrop. And you, you listen to what he said about what New England looks like right now. And as, as he pointed out, and, and, uh, and as was told to him by another pastor, if the, the, the things in our nation do not change, uh, New England is, is simply a microcosm of what the rest of the nation will look like. And we see it in Europe, as, as Pastor Nate and I talked about. Um, there's just no heart for the things of God. The, the church is very small over there. 
uh, when we speak of the actual uh, bride of Christ. And we're seeing that happen in New England. And this is a local pastor's passion is to see that area revived. And what he is taking from that is pastors around the nation, we should desire to see the revival in our own nation. And the, the takeaway is it's the word of God. That, that's what it does. You know, we, we have so much in the way of Madison Avenue techniques and, and church, church growth methods that we should by now be recognizing it doesn't work. I mean, let's use the back, let's use the context of, of what's going on right now with our current election. I mean, we saw people compromise uh, their beliefs. And I know, I know not everybody who voted for Donald Trump did it out of pure pragmatic reasons. I know some people really wrestled with this and really looked to the Word of God and came up with different reasons why ultimately they did. Now, I wouldn't agree with those reasons, and, I, and I've said so, and I know, Rich, you and I have talked about it. But in many cases, in, in, a, in a vast majority of cases, people who a decade ago, you know, when or more than a decade ago, like 15 years ago, when, when we had... Bill Clinton running, who did not almost makes uh, almost like a choir boy next to Donald Trump in his public presentation. I mean, he was lambasted by the church for his obvious sinful behavior, and we said character matters. Today, we we shed that we threw we threw it out the window, and on the other hand, even the Democrats didn't come out in droves to vote for Hillary Clinton. She was just that terrible of a candidate for them. I mean. If you if you have the time, go online, look for the chart that actually shows the previous two elections and look at the current election. Honestly, it's like Donald Trump didn't necessarily win because he was the better candidate. It was because Hillary was that bad. I mean, <laughs> you know, the number of people voting for the Democrats dropped way down, way down. Um, it was it was just that bad. And how do we get there? Well, it's it's a worldview issue. How how do we have the people rioting in the streets because they, their candidate didn't win? It's a worldview issue, and it's a spiritual issue that drives the worldview. And it's this this darkened mind, this sinful heart, that can't be addressed through an election. I mean, we we might see a little bit of a reprieve. The House and the Senate have been retained by the Republicans, not that they've done much in the last eight years. And we have a, quote, Republican president. So maybe, if nothing else, the, the train of persecution just slowed to a crawl. I don't know, maybe. But what I fear is that with this election, you're going to have a lot of Christians who feel vindicated that they, that they sold out, in a sense, and elected somebody who was really bad. And they're going to say, see, God approves of this. But Pastor Nate, in his book and in his presentation during the interview, talked about the spiritual darkness that, that is going on in New England and how it's moving. It, it looks like it's going to be like this for the rest of the nation. And there's only one solution to that, and that's the Word of God. I mean, Rich, what else do we have? I mean, how much more evidence do you think we need that all the methodologies have failed I mean, I don't know what else we can point to, even with this election. Well, I fear that the results of the election may make the American evangelicals even more apathetic to to the true plight of the church 
within the United States, especially because um, contrasting where I live and where I grew up to where Nate is living in, in a, a current pastor in New England. I mean, in the interview, you know, he points out that that area is dominated by, you know, Catholicism and that, you know, he speaks to someone about going to church on Sunday and they're like, well, why would I go to church? I'm going to play football. Whereas where I live, you know, your people are still a Christian culturistic type to where, you know, the biggest majority, they do go to church on Sunday. They do expect others to be going to church. You know, it's not a if you go to church, it's where do you go to church. But the problem is the same spiritual darkness is prevalent here that is in New Hampshire, even though every, you know, the biggest majority of those that live in the Bible Belt here in the Southeast would profess to be a Christian. But the sad reality is they're no different than those in New England, except the ones in my area are self-deceived into thinking that they're saved just because they go to church. And without the true word of God being taught and preached in every pew, regardless of whether it's, regardless of where the location is, people cannot grow and learn unless someone is willing to stand up and teach them the truth and what the Bible actually says and exposit the word of God the way God intended instead of just tickling their ears and telling them what they want to hear. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of different reasons churches have to end up, you know, quote unquote, have to preach a certain way. But, you know, better a small church with a small congregation with a big heart for God than a huge church with thousands in the congregation with no heart for God. And that's, that's something that I've heard, you know, my own pastor speak of because I too, I, I, you know, our church is a small church and, you know, we only have 40 or 50 members in our church. And I know that Nate's church is small. I don't know whether it's larger or smaller than our family church, but, um, you know, the principle still remains and it doesn't matter how many people are in the pews if they're not even feeding on milk sadly most churches and i say this with no qualms most churches in the united states are doing nothing but giving the congregation cotton candy instead of even baby formula and if anyone ever has a ever that's listening to this has ever had a child knows that you start with baby formula you go to milk then you go to solid food sadly within most american evangelical churches they're not even getting fed baby formula these days yeah no absolutely and i think that's the problem you know somewhere along the way and 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 hit Pastor Nate was right. History's a complicated thing. It's not like we can point to one or two things and say that's what caused it. But somewhere along the way, we abandoned those those things. And we can, we can look to certain things. You, you can go back to guys like Charles Finney who simply said, uh, you know, I'll preach whatever is necessary to get the result that I wanted. 
and that that was kind of the birth of a, of a lot of the uh, the man-centered theologies that we began to see pop up and it's become very much a part of the church and i think it even influenced as you're talking about the the pablum that is given because now we have churches that are afraid to preach what the bible says so we're going to preach what uh, tickles the ear of man to bring them in but the thing is is that that can't change the heart that can't uh, convict of sin that can't cause uh, a person to come to repentance and faith because it's not powered by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God does that. And that's why I think Pastor Nate's book is so very important. And that's why I would encourage our listeners to read it, to give it to their pastors. And please, as I said in the interview, be polite, be respectful, give it as a gift, not as some sort of you know mandate that they must read and do. But that's what I would encourage us to do. So, Rich, as we're getting ready to wrap this up, what are your last thoughts about uh, about the the interview and Pastor Nate's book? Well, I couldn't agree with what I heard more wholeheartedly, and I just ask that um, you know, like you said, please get the book, please read it, um, get it and read read it and decide for yourself, and let. Me and Chris, or either one of us, or both of us, know what you think about the book. Let Nate know what you think about the book. You know, good, bad, ugly, whatever. But because generally, you know, any feedback is helpful as long as it's you know legitimate feedback, and you're not just name calling or telling us we're stupid or something. I mean, you and I both agree on this that we 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 love to get feedback, good, bad, negative, whatever. I mean, because it helps us you know, better work the show. It helps us to, to learn and know what we need to improve on, what needs help, Absolutely. you know. And, and you know, we when we ask for feedback, we're, you know, le- legitimately desiring feedback, like I said. And I'm sure Nate is of that same mindset, you know, listening to Entreating Favor and he and, and Landon on their show you know, I think I think they agree with us that you know feedback, good, bad, negative, all is helpful as long as it's constructive and it's not, you know, some of these people that <laughs> troll the internet looking for stuff just to gripe about. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed listening. I really enjoyed listening to Nate. Um, like you pointed out earlier, I was not able to participate in an interview. I would have loved to just for the simple fact I'd like to poked at Nate a little bit since he's one of those quirky humorous types that <laughs> fit right in with you and I that you know we don't take ourselves too seriously but we we try to have fun and 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 do it in a God-honoring way and and try to show the world that you know Christians are not a bunch of stiff-necked grumpy you know whatever's that never smile or laugh or have fun I mean that's a stereotype they don't like to be stereotyped well they do turn around and do it to christians all the time but anyway um i really enjoyed (laughs) i really enjoyed listening to nate and and discuss the book and i just like i said get a copy of the book read it and decide for yourself and you know encourage your pastors encourage your brothers and sisters in christ to, to read it as well and to examine their own hearts and and to examine their walk and ask are they guilty of a blind eye and and deaf ears to 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 god's word brother amen amen okay well folks thank you 
thank you for being with us again this week. Thank you uh, for taking the time to listen to the interview. Certainly encourage you to go to Amazon.com and pick up the uh, uh, book by Pastor Nate Pickowitz, uh, Reviving New England. Uh, you can also check that, uh, if you can't remember what the name is, you can go to entreatingfavor.com. They have a link on the site there and uh, find the book. Check uh, check out Pastor Nate on the, the blog. Check him out on Facebook and Twitter. As uh, Rich said, let him know that you appreciate him. Let him know what you think about uh, what he's written. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Uh, we appreciate your time, as always, and we'd love to hear from you. You can always contact us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. You can always find us on the slavetothekingcom website, which has links to us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, feel free to contact us. We would love to hear from you. And you know, especially this interview, would you consider sharing it? Uh, we would like to get Pastor Nate's book out there a, a lot. Uh, I think it needs to be read. I, I think folks need to realize the Word of God is powerful, and all we have to do is preach it. We don't have to rely on our own intellect, our own cleverness. We just have to be faithful to the God's Word. So get this interview out there, share it, get the book, read it, talk to people about it, Preach the word of God. Preach the gospel. And whatever you do this week, as we always say, do it for the glory of God. Thank you for joining us this week. We